Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Here, here, I'm going to butcher it again. I let. I yell it. I yell it. All right. So thank you for being on the podcast. Um, this is, I think, a perfect episode for adapting when there's a big life event, having a kid, also for parents out there, because it could be so expensive raising a child. I don't have any kids myself. I have a lot of nieces and nephews, but you mm-hmm. hear all the horror stories of buying this, have to buy that. And then it's only good for a year or six months. And then you got to give it over to the next person and so on and so forth. So you uh, built a business when you had your your son. Yeah. It's uh, learn with less. Yes. Okay. So walk us through what learn with less is. Yeah. So really what I do is, is I help families, new parents, uh, find and feel confident that they can raise an amazing human (laughs) from day one without actually having to buy any toys. They can connect and support, they can support and connect with their baby or toddler without having to actually buy any toys. What's, um, I think it was an old statistic or something like that. Wasn't it uh, raising a child from birth to 18 is like 180,000 or something? Or is it right. more than that? that okay, is, it's that. I'm sure it's more than that these, these days. <laughs> I mean, it depends on who you talk to, right? And this also like creates a real barrier to entry for so many parents who feel really guilty that like either number one, they can't afford all of the like fancy brain building toys that they're for like, that they're getting served in Facebook ads, for instance, or that they don't want to like fill their homes with a bunch of stuff. Right. So I'm assuming this business and it's horrible to assume, but I'm going to go with the assumption that this business came out of necessity. You had your your child and you're, you started seeing the pricing or kind of walk me through the idea where it came about. Yeah. So really it came about because, so my background, I'm a pediatric speech language pathologist. So what that means is for me, because it's a huge field, I have historically worked with new parents, families with infants and toddlers generally, and then also uh, kiddos with really complex communication needs who like can't access speech to communicate. So really what that gave me going into parenthood, which was a really clear understanding that play is very, like looks different, number one, for babies and toddlers. Like you're obviously, you're not going to like sit down and play a board game with a toddler. Like that's not going to go well. Right. (laughs) Um, And, and in order to like connect and support with a tiny baby, you don't need fancy toys. You don't need a bunch of stuff. It's really like infants and toddlers learn through you. They learn through this process of observation and interaction and imitation. And those three things, they don't require toys. They don't require stuff. They don't require a bunch of materials for play. And we also, I also knew that like, Babies and toddlers really like what builds attention, what builds skills, whether you're talking about fine motor skills, cognitive skills, communicative skills, social and emotional skills, 
What builds all of those kinds of skills is open-ended play, which means like these sort of loose parts, everyday materials, things that you're or they already have around your home, and the routines in which we engage with our children every day throughout the day. So I already knew that <laughs> coming into having a baby. And then I became a mom and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much I don't know. This is, of course, like insane. And I felt all of the vulnerable feelings that a new parent does, obviously. Go ahead. What, what, were, what were some of the things you didn't know? Really, I think, well, in that was the thing, right? Instead of asking about the like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with that baby. Like I knew that, but I didn't know, like I hadn't done any research about like sleep. Like I knew that I wouldn't be sleeping <laughs> because babies have a different rhythm and have different needs, but I didn't know anything about sleep. I did. I, I also just didn't know because I'd never experienced becoming a mom. Like I didn't, or a dad, whatever. I didn't know that like absolute vulnerability. And I didn't know that like, I didn't know what was normal and what wasn't normal. I didn't know the like when to freak out, you know, and because when you're a new parent, like everything is a freak out because you've never experienced it before. So uh, that coupled with like, you know, sleep deprivation and exhaustion and just that feeling of you're entering into a new period of time. And you're also taking on a completely new identity. Like everything that you knew before as a human being <laughs> is now completely shifted. Like you as your own priorities, whether that's about social life, work, uh, hobbies, everything, your relationship with a partner, if that's you, um, mine certainly changed, right? Like how do you how do you divide that responsibility? Like how do you balance your needs and priorities and and your relationship with that person. And then also just like the all of the pieces about like understanding and supporting development. Like I knew theoretically, but then it came into practice, right? And and then setting up an environment for learning and and then eventually like setting limits and managing behavior and all of those kinds of things. So when you've never experienced it from the parent side, it is all new. Even though I had been working with parents and caregivers for the, the better part of for more than a decade. So it was all new. It was all crazy, right? It's it's a wild experience. So, <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen this in your own like brothers and sisters and them having kids, like it's a shift. So it's, it's probably the small things that you, you don't even realize. And it's yeah. like you're saying, it's like when you're going to, and I know it's a little bit different, but when you go to a school and yeah. you're learning basically how business works, and then right. you actually go into the real world and you find out there's a little bit differences. There's one right. thing, something like that. Right. Now, it's that like theoretical versus applied. It's like a completely exactly. different game, right? <laughs> well, well, walk us through, like, who were you at a young age? Who were you as a, as a child? Where was your family? Kind of what got you into this kind of mindset of helping young ones out? You know, I was, I grew up in California, Northern California in the Bay Area. I, uh... I don't know. I, I had always been interested in like the arts. I was always interested in other people, in building narratives, in storytelling, all of those things. I was very privileged to go to a like small liberal arts college and study theater and Russian literature, <laughs> uh, which was super applicable to <laughs> what, you know, I then like moved to New York and wanted to do like a, a career in 
maybe the performing arts in at like arts administration. I don't know. It didn't like I explored. I had a lot of like time and energy to explore and like make my way and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I knew that I wanted to work with other people. And like soon after sort of realizing that this like life of an artist was not for me indeed, uh, I decided to go back to school. I was thinking about what I would want to do. I thought about social work. I thought about, you know, education. And then someone turned me on to the field of speech language pathology. And I thought, wow, that's actually kind of awesome. Like it combines my interest in like child development, in psychology, in uh, like language and narrative building, in communication and telling stories in general, in language in general. And it felt really cool. And I loved also that it's such a interesting field in terms of like you can work with lots of different populations. You can work with tiny, tiny babies all the way up to geriatric population and people at the beginning of their lives, the end of their lives and everywhere in between, depending on, you know, how you work with person. And I know you've had actually several speech language pathologists on the show, which I love. I thought that was really cool. Um, So we're kind of taking over. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's very interesting. You, you, like I think um, one of them about autism, yeah, and it was the whole idea that there's so many kids that have autism that don't even know they have, like they're on the spectrum, and it's just like different things yeah. like that that we're just not aware of as like a population, right? right. Uh, what so you're talking about the idea of an artist, right. and you had a transition, the whole i the whole thing of a starving artist. How <laughs> long were you in that kind of mindset of going into like the the art field? Before you um, probably, wrote probably about two years in my early 20s, I was doing arts stuff. I was working in a like a theater production and I, ha- I had like four jobs. You know, I was running, literally running around New York City and like at least two boroughs on a daily basis and trying to make ends meet and um, have a social life and, you know, pursue my passion and all of those things and try to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do and what I wanted that to look like. Um, I got exactly. When you, yeah. Well, when you, so I know sometimes people, they go towards their passion and they start transitioning to maybe a career. Yeah. Yet they sometimes have that dream of their passion of going back to their passion later on or trying to do it on the side was that anything like that or did you just give it up cold turkey? I mean, the other th- the thing about like my love for the arts, my love for like theater or performing or working in that industry is that like that never went away. I um I was I was always uh a singer. I, I moved, I left New York, moved back to California and got into grad school and did grad school and started singing in a Western swing band. Like I, I got to do the things that I loved. It just maybe looked different. Um, and I still like a lot of my work today with families is based around music and, uh, how music is such an amazing, uh, framework to to integrate and to serve and promote development especially with young children so i no longer perform in san francisco i 
I perform for babies. <laughs> and that's really fun. And I get to actually share that information, share that knowledge and, and, and provide it for both other parents as well as other professionals and sort of help them acknowledge that, yeah, this is actually a really useful tool. And that, that feels good too. So I think for me, it, it just, it's a matter of finding things that you love, your what your passion is, and then finding a way to implement that into your life and it, and it might look different than you thought it was going to. And that's awesome. <laughs> so walk me through the idea that, so you go back to grad school, become a speech pathologist. Yeah. What's the transition? Do you join a company? Do you go on your own? How does that, how does that work? So after grad school? Yeah. Yeah. So within the field of speech language pathology, you have this clinical fellowship year where after you graduate, you are, you know, an actual speech pathologist, you can get, you have your degree, you just have this year where you're essentially supervised and you have to, you know, pass through um, certain brackets that ensure that you are, you know, eth ethical and serving families. Or, you know, if you're working in a school, you have a supervisor. If you're working in a skilled nursing facility, you have a supervisor. I personally... Uh, had decided that I was really interested in working with uh, kids with really complex communication needs. And I went to do a mentorship under a woman who had uh, started both a school in the past and then a private practice serving um, kids in school districts who require augmentative and an alternative communication. So essentially what that really means is it might be a kid with autism, it might be a kid with cerebral palsy, it might be a kid with any number of uh, some kind of motor disorder or motor disorder disorders that means that their bodies and their, you know, ability to either sequence the movements, organize the movements to produce verbal speech, they can't do that. And often that they can't communicate primarily with sign language either because they're impacted with their physical bodies as well. So uh, that often meant um, helping families either from like preschool or younger or uh, all the way through high school and um, beyond to help a child access communication in whatever way possible. So I took my first several years out of grad school and I worked under a woman named Marilyn Buzelich, who has this incredible practice and um, is a real sort of guru in that field of augmentative and alternative communication. And I, and I really sort of went in deep and it was an amazing, um, you know, opening to my career. And it's an incredible, like, it's pretty, an, it's a pretty amazing way of, serving families because it's often like the school-based speech language pathologist may not have that like niched down ability to serve, to really understand like, how do I procure a speech generating device that this child can access? How do I decide what kind of language system this kid will access? How do I uh, train both the family and the other school personnel and other students and this student on how to use and um, help that child access their education. So I then was was brought in uh, as a sort of AAC expert 
and um, had had this ability to work with these kiddos and uh, their families and their school support team. I've heard when people do the internships or um, work on a knee someone with the idea of growth, right? Mm -hmm. Some people get just the, the work atmosphere. Other people get behind the scenes. When you were doing that, was she kind of being fully upfront with you? This is what you have to do for your accounting work, paperwork, <laughs> things like that? Or is it morally on the, the day-to-day stuff? It was she. So she was really there for like mentorship of the like actual work stuff. How do I serve this kid? What should I be doing when it came to the actual like, you know, billing and stuff like she had a system that I got to use. I contracted with her. So I really had to learn right out of grad school. Like, what does this look like? What do I have to form as far as like, am I a sole proprietor? Should I form my own LLC? Those kinds of you know, things and how do I do my taxes? So I really had to figure out that on my own, but I was supported by the other, uh, say, consultants that worked under the same practice. At least I had like other people to talk to who had experienced the same thing or like Facebook groups for private practice speech language pathologists, like those kinds of resources also helped for sure. But yeah, it's a lot of, um, you know, trying to figure it out. And I think that's part of what made me feel confident once I shifted into my own, you know, opening my own business into, into knowing that it's really not that that complicated once you know what the pieces you're looking at it are. When going back to maybe the grad school uh, person Mm -hmm. that was looking to find uh, someone to work underneath, did you have multiple options? What were your questions that you were asking Asking, I mean, for people listening right now, and that can be a difficult thing because that that drove you to the path that you're at right now. So if you would have chose maybe a different person. Sure. Could, yeah. yeah, I mean, and I had actually a few options because of the different like internships that I had done along the way within my grad school practicum, for instance. I, I knew from pretty much the beginning that of grad school of going into this field that I was pretty sure I wanted to work with kids. Uh, It's just where my interests lay. But of course I was also interested. I I wanted the, the knowledge base for, you know, working across the spectrum and, you know, it's, it is, there's so much that you need to know. I think a lot of people think, for instance, that like speech language pathologists, oh, that's a person who like works with my kid on a lisp or a stutter or whatever. And yes, it can be that, but it's it's huge, huge field. So yeah, I I think personally having a sense of the direction that I wanted to go even before I um, finished grad school was very helpful for sure. And then I sort of arranged my like practicum experiences within grad school around my interests so that I would be more, I guess, uh, like of an attractive candidate for certain, certain kinds of jobs right out. So the fact that I had interned with this private practice before with this woman who was like had an incredible reputation obviously gave me a shoe in and I had performed well in my internship experience also give me a shoe in and to actually work with her. But I also had other offers from companies who wanted me to work in house through them in this same sort of niche area of the field because I had had that experience with her still in grad school. 
Well, also too, with being the internship, it allows you that's an environment that you want to stay with. So that's probably, yes, probably huge. Yeah. For me, it was, it was really helpful. Yeah. Now, how, what was that feeling like when you're looking to start your own practice when you're pregnant? I'm assuming you're thinking about it while you're pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. So I, so the, the, the details really around that are that my, so my husband, I had just gotten married. I was working here in the U S and then my hus- husband got a job offer that took us to the UK. So I was actually like eight weeks pregnant when we moved to the UK. I had, you know, gotten through all of the, um, all of the paperwork to transfer my license as a speech language pathologist to the UK, which has sort of a acknowledgement that you can work, uh, also like your, your, uh, degree or, or your certification is recognized. You just have to file the paperwork. And of course that takes about nine months, which, uh, funny enough was pretty much when I got the, uh, the go ahead. So my paperwork came through and I was 38 weeks pregnant (laughs) in the UK. And I was thinking, Oh my gosh, well, that's intense. And I did find a private practice that I, uh, could work in like just a few hours a week. And I did that for a few months, but I really was thinking, you know, I don't know if this is the direction I want to go in. There were complications with that, you know, personnel and, and people issues around that, of course, as well as, as there often are. And I, I really just wanted to, I had the, again, I had the incredible privilege and ability to, experiment with like my husband was the breadwinner at that time I could essentially stay home with our child and I was you know I was socially isolated we didn't have our families our in inbuilt you know support networks uh we didn't know anyone so I had gone out all during my pregnancy and tried to source those things like what how what is built in in the UK as opposed to the US and actually <laughs> there are a lot of things that are that are built in in the UK for uh new parents for instance things like um you know birth education and new parent type groups play groups those kinds of things uh i got to attend like a prenatal yoga class and that was amazing and i met a lot of other incoming parents you could say uh through that. And, and I also, and so that was when this like idea of birthing <laughs> a playgroup slash like developmental sort of parent and me type group, both to support families and to support me <laughs> in, in basically bribing people to come and play with me and be my friend, uh, other new parents who also were in this same stage of life and that we could sort of learn along with each other, that was when I started sharing this information about like, this is how you can play with your baby. Like, look, here's here's, like a few curated, like sort of semi-structured activities that we can do together. And then let's just break for like tea and chat as one does in London. And that was really, it was both gratifying for me as a human to be connected to other new parents And it felt really good to be using my brain and like just thinking about what questions I was having, what questions they were having and how to answer those questions as they came up 
through the like through the guise of play and and how we could connect and support um, our babies together as as a group. And that was incredibly gratifying and incredibly just it just felt so good. And I thought over time, I would like to do this more. I would like to make this something I like I felt like it was something that I was good at. I had so much positive feedback from people. And so as my husband and I decided to leave the UK, we I was thinking, okay, well, how do I take this with me? And so going like bringing some aspect of it online was where was the direction I headed. So I started a podcast and I started sharing the kinds of information that I was sharing in these live groups on the podcast. And I built a little bit of an audience. And then I started uh, to, to sort of share as basically like as an online course, the kinds of information that I had shared in the groups that was more like developmental and age-based uh, of what what was going on with their babies or toddlers as as they were getting bigger and what they could do to support that using super simple materials and basic interactions really that they were already engaging in, but how to like maximize that and boost their kids' development and learning and that connect and support that connection between parent and child. Um, yeah. Did the, the transition from the UK um, back to the US was that when you started to look to monetize it? So yeah, we actually we also had another country in there before <laughs> before we moved oh. back to the U.S. Funny enough, uh, we moved to Berlin for a year, and that was when I started the podcast. And I sort of just started experimenting with that form and that format, and hearing like as people started actually listening to it, which of course takes time, as you know very well. Uh, like you know, just sort of figuring out what people liked that I was sharing or how they wanted me to share more of it or differently. And yeah, when, when I, when we moved back to the U S that was when I started actually selling a product, partly because it took me that long to figure out what I was doing. And partly because I didn't want to have to deal with like international taxes and billing and all of that. Like it, that felt to me too much, like to have to, imagine. So yeah, I started, I started that monetization, uh, when, upon moving back to the U S yeah. What do you think some of the biggest hurdles that you had to kind of overcome in this transition of, of building your business? I mean, I think for me, and I don't think I'm alone here. Like I think certainly, well, first of all, I was a new mom when I started my business and uh, I didn't have any, you know, business or marketing training, really. Like like we talked about, the only real knowledge I had about, you know, having a business was like, what do I need to file with the state, right? <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, I didn't know anything about like how to build a product or how to like build a business and how to make it sustainable. And, uh, and I was sleep deprived and exhausted. And I built that business as we moved between confidence. And then, as I mentioned to you, like having another baby, in, in fact, so I, I did all of these things in sort of the in-between moments and during nap times and after bedtime. And then once, you know, we could like with a few hours of babysitting a week. Um, and then I think 
also, you know, imposter syndrome and money mindset issues. And can I really charge for this? And, you know, also just, again, trying to figure out exactly like what the structure of what I was building was. So yeah, those, I would say those were sort of the three major kinds of things that I struggled with, have struggled in, with. Imposter syndrome, you I mean, I think it's a tough thing that I think a lot of people, you talk to big celebrities and like that, they have that imposter syndrome too. Yeah. For yourself, what's something that helps you get through that, that mindset? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think for me, having a, a community of other people, I mean, as you can tell, like I'm very community based, like it really helps me to be social and, and talk things through and, uh, and to read, uh, either books or, um, you know, blog articles or, or whatever, but yeah, to be really in conversation and in community with other people about, uh, you know, what's helped them and just naming, being able to name what the problem is so that. I can then figure out, okay, well, now that I know what it's called or how it, how it presents in my life, now I can like work backwards and figure out where I want to be from there. Like, what are my goals? How do I want to figure that out? How do I, where do I want to be? So what are the things that I need to work through and how do I do that? So has your um, husband ever gave you grief <laughs> for leveraging your children to get into these groups? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I created the groups. I think his, okay. <laughs> you know, he, uh, I think he's, he's a bit of like a neat freak. And so like, I, you know, he'd come home at the end of the day and I would have like led, I mean, it started in our home. I eventually ended up like, it, it sort of expanded when we were in London and brought it and I started like, you know, renting a space for instance, in like a community center. But yeah, he, I think he, at first he didn't quite realize that like, oh my gosh, there's so much that you've had people in our home all morning. Like what, what can you like make sure that it's, it looks good and it's okay. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like I'm exhausted and I've been dealing with our child here. You take him, you know? Uh, so that I think for him more, it was sort of over time, you know, us, us coming to an understanding of like, this is something that I, I was doing not only for, you know, potentially like my career and building a business, but also for my sanity. Um, and again, like early parenthood, it's a beast. Like it can, it, there's a lot of weird hormones that are floating around in your body and you're, you're, it's not just dealing with a transition to being a parent. It's also dealing with like that shift in your own state. And, um, I do think that like for me, um, to be totally frank, like that first year after having both of my babies was like really challenging as far as like postpartum, um, you know, ish, like maternal mental health stuff. Like it wasn't, I certainly did not experience what many people do as far as like extreme depression or anxiety, but the, I certainly have, have had to confront my own, you know, uh, devils, I guess you could say. Um, and it's, you know, it's a lot. And that, this was for me, how, how I dealt with that was creating and, and building a support system for myself and for others. Do you, was there ever a moment dealing with the, the fluctuation in your emotions where you wanted to just give up this business that you're growing and go back to something 
I guess, more nine to five or a little straightforward? You know, I'll honestly, no, because it actually really, for me, it is so much of what invigorates me. I have built a business around my, my passions and certainly, you know, I enjoy some of it, some of the, the pieces and the systems and, and gauging in certain processes and things more than others, but I love it. I love, I mean, there's a reason why I built this business, right? I, I certainly would not be doing it still if I didn't love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly is challenging, especially, you know, being your own boss and creating something out of nothing, right? Like this learn with less was not a, a brand four or five years ago or whatever. And, uh, it's, it's daunting and it's, it can be scary and, but yeah, I've, I've, I've loved most of it. <laughs> what kind of looking back at that younger student, that grad school kid that had that passion for art, what kind of advice would you give that person? Uh, I, I think really personally, I think first of all, wanting to, like, like we talked about already, really sh shifting into this understanding of like, go, go pursue a field that you love that gives you, you know, that, that is gratifying for you and that you can have some flexibility within. That was something that for me was really an amazing draw uh, to the field that I'm in is that that I would be in going back to school, in going to grad school in this field, I would be receiving an education that would allow me to work in many different uh, environments with lots of different kinds of people in lots of different capacities, all, you know, within that sort of health and human services realm. But I could, uh, I knew that I could repot myself essentially in, in many different ways, uh, over time. And that was something that for me, like you asked about my upbringing, like that was something that was always, uh, instilled in me from a young age was like that, you know, ability to like redefine who you are and that that is, that is a freedom, uh, and also a responsibility, but it's a, it's huge. It's a huge freedom to be able to do that within, the information that you have. And if, if you can do that, that's amazing. And I would certainly encourage others to be able to give themselves that freedom if they can. And we're getting closer to the end of the podcast and people listening, maybe might thinking about having a child, just had a child. What's kind of a, some kind of gateway advice that they can hear right now that you can kind of tell them that might drive them to listen to your podcast and learn more about uh, learn from less. Yeah, so learn with less. Really, the the podcast uh, we talk all about you know early communication and early parenthood in general. But really, if you are someone who is is wondering, you know, questioning whether you're expecting the arrival of a baby in whatever way that is happening, uh, or you already have a little one who's between you know zero and three years, and you're wondering about you know how to balance those those different needs and priorities and relationships and how to understand and support development using what you already have. And instead of sort of buying into this notion that we need more and 
that, uh, you know, that the baby industry loves to, to give us the, the idea that like, you are not enough. You need this one specific brain building toy that experts have all agreed on is amazing. And really like there, <laughs> you don't, <laughs> you don't need it. You don't need any more. And what your baby needs is number one, as much as you can provide to them, whether you are a working parent, a stay-at-home parent, uh, or anywhere in between. And really those moments that you are with your child, it's all about the sort of four pillars of Learn With Less that I talk about, which are play, really engaging with your baby through open-ended play, just basic experiences. You're not like expecting any something specific. It doesn't have to result in like, you know, playing with a book doesn't mean that you have to like read it from cover to cover, like be open with it. And like early literacy is all about your child engaging with a book. So whether that means, uh, you know, that your baby is mouthing the book or your toddler is removing all the books from the bookshelf, like that's play. That's all play. And uh, the next one is talk. So talking to your child, regardless of whether you're an introvert or, you know, uh, there's no specific number of words that you're supposed to say all day, but just talking about what you're doing, what they're doing, uh, asking them questions, you know, encouraging them and you modeling lots of different kinds of ways to communicate. Sing is the next one. So you don't have to be an amazing singer. There's lots of different kinds of musical experiences you can engage in with your child, whether that's rhythm or you know, singing to them or just playing music and then move because movement is, is life and is how they learn about their bodies in the world and about how the world, you know, looks and feels and, and is. So play, talk, sing, and move. That's your key to everything. And if listeners are curious about learning more, they can download my, I have a free uh, infant and toddler development blueprint that just goes through what those are in a little bit more detail and um, what the different areas of development are. And they can find that at learnwithless.com slash blueprint if they're interested. And otherwise, just, yeah, the podcast is great um, and, and explores all of those sort of early development and early parenthood challenges. So that's, that's what I do. <laughs> Well, perfect. Well, thank you for being on the road to growth. And hopefully everyone got some great information. Learn from less, learn from less, learn, learn from less. Learn with less. Yeah, you got oh, it. Learn with less. Okay. I'm okay. Learn with less. All right. So everyone listening, uh, go for to learn with less and save some money. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the biggest thing. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.